I wonder if any of you out there tonight in this modern day and age still listen to the radio. Who still listens to the radio? Maybe in the car, maybe just as you get up in the morning as you're making your breakfast, put the radio on. Okay, who's, uh, I don't want to put people too much on the spot, but which radio station do you tune into? Sometimes uh, I'm, I'll go to BBC One radio, uh, but sometimes if I'm feeling very intellectual and all the rest of it, I'll, I'll slip it on to BBC Radio 4. Who listens to BBC Radio 4 from time to time? Okay, well, there's a show on there called Desert Island Discs. Anyone heard of Desert Island Discs? Yeah, it's where um, the interviewer will get a celebrity on or someone to interview them. What if they were stuck on a desert island and you had, could choose only eight songs for the rest of your time on that island? Which eight songs would you choose? And you just go through that person's life and why they chose those songs. And then you also get with you, what do you get? You get a Bible. You get the complete works of Shakespeare. And you're allowed to choose one other book to go with you and you're allowed one luxury item. It's a, it's a fun show, that one, if you haven't listened to it before. Desert Island Discs. And I always think, oh, that would be great. I just picture myself on a desert island, <laughs> listening to my music, no one else around, you've got your luxury item, and I think, wow, that sounds fabulous. But the reality is, of course, if you really were to be stuck on a desert island by yourself, you would pretty soon and quite quickly likely Get, feel very, very alone, even if you've got your favourite eight songs with you. There's nothing actually more dehumanising in life than being on your own. In fact, it's one of the worst punishments that they can do to you in prison, isn't it? If you've been really bad or your behaviour is totally out of control, there's a place called sort of solitary confinement where you might have to even, even if you spend a week in solitary confinement, can be one of the worst punishments of all. To be on your own can be deeply dehumanizing. And it's actually one of the things that some of us are most scared of, is being on our own. I don't have to remind you that the last two years we've been um, very much tested on this, haven't we? In the, as a world, as a nation, as a community, many of us have had to spend perhaps many, many days or months literally on our own. And loneliness, funnily enough, once many people during the pandemic were saying, there's a worse pandemic going on right now than even the coronavirus. And that is the pandemic of loneliness that the virus has caused. Which is worse, a pandemic of the virus or a pandemic of isolation and loneliness. Um, and then on top of all of that, there's this other idea that although we're living in a modern and technological age, with all our social media and phones and ways of connecting with one another, ironically, some people say we're never more disconnected from one another. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been at a dinner table or something or you're out with your friends and actually you, you sort of suddenly realise we're all on our phone and that you've been around at a group of people, connected to people physically around you, but yet everyone's on their own on their phone. That can happen. It used to be if you were a commuter going into London, 
and you caught the train. Before phones and all that, it would be everyone had their newspaper out. <laughs> Even though you're on a packed train, you're cut off from one another with newspapers. So there's an irony of our age that even though we've got all this technology to be connected, there's a fear actually, especially with our young people, that they're never more disconnected. Um, our new MP uh, for our area here, Anna Firth, um, I was uh, privileged enough to meet her as she was meeting with local ministers in the area. And we asked her the question, what, do we, what does she think is one of the greatest challenges for us in our town, in our city? And she was very quick to respond. She said that she thinks the greatest challenge for our community in today's age is loneliness. Loneliness. And she wants to work hard to fight against how disconnected and lonely people are feeling. And I thought that was interesting. In fact, the government do statistics on these kinds of things, especially through the pandemic. There's a, the government do official surveys where they ask people questions about their well-being and their loneliness. And you can look all those up online. Um, and the questions go something like this. How often do you feel lonely? How often do you feel lonely? How often do you feel that you lack companionship? How often do you feel left out? How often do you feel isolated from others? Those were the questions that the government asked. And interestingly, the statistics didn't change from 2019 to 2020. The statistics, you'd think it would have gone up. I would have felt way more lonely in the pandemic. But actually, there's a consistent statistics of loneliness, no matter what's going on, whether there's a pandemic or not. I'll just read out to you a couple of interesting statistics from it. 6% of people in our country, 6% of people, that might not sound much, but that's 3 million people, feel lonely often or always. Always. That was the worst bracket. 6%. 3 million people feel lonely always. 20% say they don't feel lonely. But that leaves a huge chunk in the middle that also feel from time to time lonely on a scale. What that tells us, of course, is that as I'm preaching on this subject, I know that most of us here at some point would have felt lonely and that this is relevant. Whether you have a big family, whether you are married, whether you are single, whether you live on your own, whether you live with others, whether you live in a tightly, densely packed urban area, or whether you live in the, in the sticks in the countryside. It doesn't matter. The statistics show it doesn't really matter. You can feel lonely in any of those situations. Another interesting statistic from this was actually it's, you're more likely to feel incredibly lonely if you're younger. That was a really fascinating part of the statistics. The younger you are, the more likely you are to report being lonely. And actually it, gets, um, it reportedly gets better as you get older. I would have thought it could be the other way, that you feel lonelier as you get older, but actually the statistics show it's young people that really feel most affected. Also, other things that affect loneliness according to these statistics are things like illness, disabilities, deprivation, all things that factor in feeling lonely. Of course, I know there's problems with statistics, but I think 
And I've been a pastor long enough to know that loneliness really affects many, many people. Because it's not, like I said, just about whether you are physically isolated. We can feel isolated and lonely even within friendship groups, work groups, family. You could even wake up every morning next to someone and you still feel alone. That could be for, for many, many reasons. We as humans tend to not be very good at opening up to one another. We often put lots of boundaries and safeguards between each other in our relationships, often to protect ourselves, often because we find it difficult to admit what's going on in our lives. And because we do that with one another, many of us all feel we might be tightly packed in this room, but we might feel, actually, I don't really know anyone or I don't really feel known. That can affect loneliness. We might have trust issues of letting people in or find that other people don't let us in. Have you ever wanted to be close to someone, but they just won't let you in? They won't talk. That issue of not feeling known is a problem. The Bible says that we need and we were created for meaning, meaningful connections with God and with one another. That's critical and fundamental to who we are, connection, relationship. We were made at the beginning of the Bible, God said, let us make mankind, let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness. And God said that he made us male and female. He made us in community. He made us for relationships. And I don't just mean marriage and spouses, I just mean community and friendships even. God said, let us make man in our image. And of course, if you know anything about the living God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, at the very core of who he is, is a community, a relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, connecting with one another, fellowshipping with one another, being open before one another, loving and adoring and delighting in one another's presence. At the very core of who God is, if you would ask God, who are you? He would say, I am a loving fellowship of three persons. And he longs to include more and more people into that loving fellowship. And if you ask God, have you ever felt alone? God would say, I've never felt alone. Because the Father would say, I've always had my Son. And the Son would say, I've always had my Father. And both of them would always say, we've had the love and joy and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God has never been alone. I tend to think, many people tend to think of God as being this very, very isolated character that lives somewhere in some distant galaxy, twiddling his thumbs or throwing lightning bolts or doing Sudokus all day. I don't know. <laughs> God is not isolated. He is not alone. He loves fellowship. In fact, what I love about um, the Bible is that the, the thing that 
if you, if you could ask God, or let's ask this question, what does God, God love doing the most? It seems what he loves to do the most is sit down at a meal table with his friends. That's the thing he loves most. If you notice Jesus, he's always at a party. <laughs> he's always breaking bread. He's always knocking at the doors, asking to come in and have a bit of food. Isn't that wonderful? And even at the end of the Bible, it says that God will, there'll be this dramatic end to the Bible where God, the heavens open and heaven comes down and the city of Jerusalem and the gold and the angels. And what does it say? For the wedding supper of the Lamb. And it actually says Jesus will put his apron on and start serving us at the meal table. Fellowship, communion, intimacy, also very critical. Okay, and yet many of us feel so very, very alone, and it's not what God wants. I think, therefore, church is really important to address this loneliness issue. I think church is extremely important where we have meaningful friendships, real relationships, honesty, confession, sharing. And I love the fact that we share tonight. But it's, it's, it's hard to share the difficult things sometimes, isn't it, about how we're feeling. But church is really important. And it's, it's no accident that when we break ourselves away from the fellowship, we start to diminish in our relationship with God, in our relationships with one another, and we get a little bit turned in upon ourselves. See, that's one of the greatest problems, what sin does. What sin does in the Bible is it makes us not look out to others and to the Lord anymore. We get turned in upon ourselves, and we get lost in the pit of the darkness of our own lives. And then we become more and more cut off from God and others. So I think church is a wonderful way that we begin to at least explore the possibility of being connected to one another and to God. Okay, 2 Psalm 139. Whether or not you're really plugged into the life of church, whether or not you live on your own or with a family or friends, no matter what your situation is, if you're feeling that I struggle to be known and to know others, Psalm 139 is a real encouragement because there is one who knows you. There is one who knows you, the Lord. Let's look at verses 1 to 3. You, Lord, have searched me and you know me. You are known by God. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Now, just stop there a second. That can be quite a worrying thought. <laughs> that I am so well known that I can't actually hide anything from him. See, that's the intimacy thing, isn't it? We, the reason why we don't feel connected to each other is because we're actually we don't want people to know what's on my mind. and we, we barrier ourselves from each other. But the Lord, no, he knows your thoughts. And he knows when you sit and when you rise. 
That's a worrying level of attention that God gives to us, isn't it? Do you find that comforting or worrying that he knows when you get up in the morning and he knows when you go to bed? I find that tremendous because it it gives me the sense of our Father in heaven is really excited by your life. If I said to you, I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes telling you about when I ate my breakfast and when I brushed my teeth and then what time I managed to get the kids to school or what time I came into church and all those things, you'd be like, Tom, this is the most boring thing in the world. So mundane, so boring. And yet the Heavenly Father gets so excited by that stuff. He's like, Tom is up. 8.45, a bit later than yesterday. He, he brushed his teeth. Everyone, angels, gather around. Tom has brushed his teeth. Make a note. Fantastic. Oh, he's in a bad mood. Let's see if we can figure that one out. He's obsessively excited about your life. To the level of detail, we wouldn't care that anything about one another, but he's excited about that. In fact, so much so that Jesus says, now, see, I love my children, and I may, if I, because I get excited about them. I get excited about seeing them in the morning. I don't make a note of what exactly, all the details of their life, but I know when they've risen, and I know when they go to bed. But Jesus goes another level. The Father goes another level, and he says this in Matthew's Gospel, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now that is a worrying level of obsessive excitement that the father has about you. Tom has lost another hair. I won't be replacing it. (laughs) I find that tremendous. Some of us, though, might be a little bit worried, of course, about this, because if he knows my thoughts, another thought might be he's not going to like what he sees. Because actually I have a fear about myself that I'm not very likable. Some of you might have that. That if people really knew what I was like, knew my thoughts, and knew how little trust I have, and knew the unkind things and all the rest of it, and the moodiness and the, the darkness... He's not going to like what he sees. He's not going to be as excited anymore about knowing what time I get up. But no, look at the end of the psalm. Verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. Anyone had anxious thoughts? He sees those things. And the psalmist is not afraid to let God in and see it all. And neither will God then say, yeah, actually, I've changed my mind. I don't like you very much. No, he's as eager to be with you, knowing all that stuff. And actually, he wants us to open up. He wants us to share that stuff. And he still delights to be with us. Wonderful. So many people are scared to let God in. We're so scared because we don't want to be rejected. 
And actually, we don't want to be known sometimes. We want to hide. The Bible says that. Jesus says that. We hide because we don't want our evil deeds to be exposed, and we won't come into the light. But Jesus promises if you come into the light, you will not be condemned, but you will have the light of life. Boundaries. When you go into ministry, um, you get taught a lot about boundaries, about how, as a vicar or whatever, you're going to know a lot of people, and so you've got to have some boundaries. You can't be there for everyone all the time. Do you know what I mean? So you've got to protect yourself a little bit. And we all have to do that in our lives. Whether you think you have boundaries or not, you do put boundaries in place, saying, I can only give so much time to this because I've got this, this, and this to do as well. And you have to protect your own life and heart sometimes. So you have to have boundaries. But one of the one most wonderful things about the Lord Jesus is he never puts up boundaries because he has inexhaustible amount of time and heart and affection for you. See, Jesus must be the most busy person in all the world because he gives as much time to anyone as they need. And he never gets tired. He never says, I'm not available. He never says, I'm too busy. He never says, you're too much for me. You've got too many issues. I can't carry them. He never says that to someone because he's always got broad shoulders. He always supports us as a good friend would. He's a good listener. He's a good comforter. He's a great advisor. He'll tell you the hard things as well, but he'll always do it in love. He will go out of his way to help you. And nothing is too much for him. And then finally, Jesus will never leave you. Jesus will never leave you. Let's look at Psalm 139 again. Where can I go? Verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Because we're pretty sure he's up there. If I go to heaven, yeah, pretty sure the Lord will be there. But what if I'm down there in the depths? What if I'm sinking into the darkness of death itself? Will you be there for me? Because the reality is no matter how well we're connected in our fellowship, or how many friends you've got, or how many loved ones you've got. One of the greatest fears we have, and it's based on reality, is that we will lose each and every one of those relationships at some point. Have you ever thought about that? Every single relationship I have with you, and I have with my family members, and whoever, at some point I will lose them. That's a horrible thought, isn't it? Of course, for the Christian, you never lose it, lose it, because... We'll be with them forever. But at some point, you will be pulled away from everyone you know and love. There is only one who can go with you every step of every journey that you will ever go on. One that will never leave you when everyone else must. Only one. And thank God that that is Jesus Christ. 
that even though you walk the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil because he is with you. His rod and his staff will comfort you. So even if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Even if I wanted to escape him, he'd be like, you you can't run fast enough, Tom. I can run fast. I've got angels, I've got chariots, I've got all sorts. You can't outrun me. Even it says here, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even if geographical distance, I move countries, or I'm like Jonah and I get on a ship and run the other way. It's like, no, I'll be there too. And then verse 11, not just geographical distance, but spiritual distance. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. I think that's talking about the darkness of depression, spiritual bleakness and blackness that life can bring. Surely that, you won't come with me on that, Lord, if I plunge into those kinds of depths of depression. Verse 12, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Jesus is the lamp, the light of the world. And you cannot flee from his presence, even if you cloak yourself in darkness. When you discover that Jesus is sat there next to you, suddenly the darkness begins to shine like the day. Because part of it, part of it is Jesus is with us. And part of it is us not doing this. Sometimes we think he's not with us, but we're just doing this. Sometimes we just need to actually open our eyes and see him there. And he will be there, because he won't leave you. But sometimes we just love it to go like that. So as best we can for one another, when we're doing this, is not to say, has God completely abandoned me? Where is God and all this? The psalmists do that. Where are you, God? What's going on? And he's like, well, you're just doing this. Open your eyes. I'm here. Take your hands off your ears, and I will whisper words of comfort and love into you. That's part of what we do as a fellowship. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We tell each other the truth. We help one another see that Jesus is here, that he's the most present person in the room, and that he will walk home with you tonight. He will make note of when you go to sleep. He'll be waiting excitedly when you wake up in the morning. He will send his angels to celebrate with you when good things happen. He'll send his angels to help you when bad things happen. And he'll be there with you every step of the way. Because of Jesus, I'm not alone, and neither are you. Let's pray.